pray. Father, we bow in your presence tonight, God. Thank you for an opportunity. Lord, this is not something that slipped up on you. God, you know our needs, and I pray, Lord, that you would touch them according to your perfect will. God, would you give us some instructions tonight, Father, from your word. Lord, we need you like never before, God. This is a day that we stand in need of you. Would you open our hearts today, tonight, Lord, to be able to get something from your word. And I pray that you would bless it now in Jesus' name. Amen. Yeah, we'll be in starting out in the book of Matthew this evening in chapter 26. Uh, we're going to look at verse 36 through verse 39, and we're going to kind of springboard off of a verse there, one word in the verse, actually. Now, I know we've got to keep things in context like we always got to do when we're studying the Scripture, but uh, it's nice to see a word that, matter of fact, if you look up the word nevertheless, that's not something we often say in our language today, but nevertheless, that's what we're going to talk about tonight. But uh, anyhow, a, a couple of things. Y'all remember the uh, missionaries. I hope y'all do pray for the missionaries. And I look forward to what God is doing around the world. I've, I have uh, Macedonia Baptist missions and uh, a bunch of uh, uh, several evangelists and stuff that, that come in on my Twitter feed. And I just like that stuff. I mean, amen. I ain't a Facebooker. And I don't guess I ever will be. But I like, I, maybe you can judge your content that comes in on Facebook. I don't know even how it works, but I like what I can get in on that. But uh, y'all do remember that. And we've got a revival coming up, by the way. We've got a lot of announcements. We've got a revival coming up in January. Uh, Brother Joe Arthur will be back with us. So he's one of those that I follow on Twitter and Cody Zorn and some of them others. But let's get into the Word tonight. Uh, we can. I'll do one, one more commercial and I'm done. <laughs> uh, if you're not in Sunday school, we would love to have you in the Rock Sunday School classmates right up under here. I hope you uh, can get something out of Sunday school, find you a place, and it necessarily ain't got to be there, but find you a place in Sunday school and get to growing with the Lord. Verse 36 of chapter 26 of Matthew, Then cometh Jesus with them unto a place called Gethsemane, and saith unto his disciples, Sit you here while I go and pray yonder. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee and began to be sorrowful and very heavy. Then saith he unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful, even unto death. Tarry you here and watch with me. And I like this. He went a little farther. I hope we can get that tonight. And that's something that jumps out of me at the scripture. He went a little farther and he fell on his face and prayed saying, Oh, my father, if it be possible. Now you say, well, with God, all things are possible. Yeah. But watch this. If it be possible, let this cup pass from me. And here's our word for the night. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou will. All right, verse 36, we see the first place here Jesus starts his suffering, and that is the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus suffered also at Gabbatha, and the place 
he, that's the place he was beaten with a cat of nine tails. And finally, we see his life suffering at Golgotha, of course, the place of the skull, where the final payment will be paid for his, uh, or for the sins of the world, for our sins, not his. The Bible says he became sin. He who knew no sin became sin for us. And I often quote that verse because it's very important that you understand, and the world's going to try to tell you that, uh, especially the corrupt world, and that's exactly what it is, they'll try to tell you that the woman he brought in adultery, that he did something with her. I mean, and Judas, uh, he, he was another Judas Iscariot. I mean, uh, it's amazing to me that these people don't realize they're going to stand before the one who created them and give an account for those kind of things that they say. Well, he was the sinless son of God. And there was coming a time here when he was coming up to Gethsemane, coming up to the place where he often went. Now, of course, this garden was a, a place. It was a special place for him. And I hope you have found a place where you and God can get along. I stress that all the time. You know, the Christian life is you walking daily with Jesus. It ain't coming in here on Sunday morning or Sunday night or Wednesday night. I appreciate you being here, but I hope you'll be encouraged to walk with God every day. Find that time in the morning to get along with God. I used to, when I first got saved, I would go the whole day, and at night, before I'd go to sleep, I would sit down and read the Word of God. Well, I'd end up falling asleep on it, and there's nothing wrong with that. That'd be a good way to go to sleep every night. But there's something about the morning. If you would trace the morning in the Word of God, we're going to do a study on nevertheless tonight, but if you do a study on... Uh, the morning time in the Word of God, you will find out that a lot of men and women sought God early in the morning. There's something about getting up and setting the clock ahead and getting up and spending time with the Lord in the morning. Now, this was a special place that he went to, the Garden of Gethsemane. It was a familiar place to our Lord. He no doubt had some special times there communing with his father. You know he did. You know those times that you have sat alone in your prayer closet or your Terry's got the upper room, he calls it at his house and goes up there. Then that little bitty narrow set of steps. I don't know how you don't fall sometimes going up and down that little narrow set of steps. But God on that one. But go up there and spend time. Find you a place. The Bible talks about seek, seeking God in secret, in the closet. And if you want to literally go in the closet, that's a good place to go. Find you a place where you and God can get along. Get you some strength to head out on the day because the Bible says we don't know what a day may hold in store. We all worry sometimes about those phone calls. Well, we need that strength before we leave the house. This was a place Jesus was very familiar with. Matter of fact, it was so popular of a place for Jesus to be that Judas Iscariot even knew where he would be on that night. He oftentimes would resort to the garden of Gethsemane. Now in verse 37 says, He took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, be Peter, James, and John, and began to be sorrowful and very heavy. He starts to feel the weight of the hour that was to come. It was now time 
to start paying the sin debt. All of heaven at this time, I no doubt they kept silent. They was all looking down, knowing that the time of the suffering is starting. And they, I imagine they're, they're looking around and looking down and, and seeing him. Something's different about this time he goes into the garden. I'm sure there was a hush in heaven knowing that Jesus was fishing to partake uh, and become sin for us, fishing to pay that ultimate penalty which all the law pointed to. At that time, he was entering into the garden. I'm sure there was probably a silence all over heaven. They was looking down, knowing that the time was starting. And I'm sure they might have just been not really wanting to watch what was fishing to take place. See, just imagine when I have an imagination, okay? You're going to have to just get on board and, and follow me, but I'm going to keep it in line with the Scripture. But that's how I study the Bible. I try to put myself back into the place where in context that is going on. I don't know about you, but I feel the emotions what people go through. I've been going through the last two weeks on the, the book of Ruth and Naomi, you know, losing her husband and then losing her two sons and, and having to go back to a foreign land. The Bible says that she left full and returned empty. All that take place in a period of 10 years. Now, you want to talk about something hard to do, but I, I feel, I try to get into the minds of what's going on with these people that is written in the Word of God. So here is Jesus now coming to this place, and something is different. And just think about this scene in heaven. Just 33 short years ago, he was in their presence. They've known about the cup. I'm sure it was talked about in heaven. I'm sure it was. It didn't slip up on God. I know they talked about these kind of things. And obviously that cup contained the sins of the world. They've seen when the trees began to grow in the garden. Imagine when Jesus was creating the world. You ever think about stuff like that? What he was thinking when he created this piece of ground called the garden of Gethsemane? See, I think about when uh, Judas's seed became... Uh, together and he became a human being, Jesus knew who he was. Matter of fact, Jesus chose him. He said, have I not chosen you 12 and one of you is the devil? <laughs> he chose him. You say, why? Well, you ask him. I don't know. I don't know at all. Amen. That's for sure. But he chose him. He'd seen Judas growing up. He remember when John the Baptist leaped in his womb, uh, when Jesus come into the presence and was in Mary's womb. And, and so uh, he'd seen him growing up, and I'm sure they might have passed each other in the streets from time to time. Maybe as a seven, eight, ten-year-old boy might have, th might have passed him, and they not even know each other. Well, Jesus knew who he was, but Judas didn't know who he was. Maybe he did. But maybe he looked at him and said, man, you're going to betray me one day. Yet he know all, knew all along he was going to still call him friend. And when he went out to betray him, what did he say? Friend, why have you betrayed me with a kiss? I mean, Jesus, his heart, he was fishing to get to the time here when he was going to this garden. I imagine these times before the hour had come 
that as he created everything and he formed this particular piece of ground. Now, how about this? Him tracing the acorns from the first tree he created down through the ages to the particular one he knew would be the one used to make the old rugged cross. You ever think about that? He created the trees. What was the first tree he created? I have no idea. But I do know from that tree come another tree. Them acorns dropped. If you want to call it acorns, say maybe one acorn tree. It doesn't matter. You won't get that specific and legalistic about it. The point is, he saw that acorn and seen that acorn and seen that acorn. And one day something was different about a tree that dropped that acorn. (laughs) Next thing you know, he knew that was going to be the tree that was going to take root and grow up and become the old rugged cross. How about this? Just go with me for a minute here. How about tracing the minerals that would be used to make the hammer and the nails that would nail him in agony on that tree? How about this? How about when he first gave knowledge to the first man to be able to invent the hammer and the nail? Some point in time, he had to give some man knowledge enough to create a hammer. It just didn't evolve. You know, I don't care what these people talk about, this evolution stuff. They didn't just walk out one day and there was a hammer. Just like we didn't come from a monkey one day and just start where we are. It would still be going on if that was so. God placed things in order and it continues as it is. So think about him now. The first time he allowed man to invent the hammer, knowing what was coming, and the nail. How about the minerals that had to come together to make that? It had to harden. I mean, God, this is not beyond God. It goes beyond me and it goes beyond you, but he knows these things. He knew. How about tracing the animal that the bones were used for the cat of nine tails. You know, it was bones and it was metal, tracing all those fragments through. How about the animal that the leather came from of that skin of that animal? He knew. <laughs> That's who he is. All this was fixing to come to a head here. The hour was finally come. You remember the devil tried to kill him many times. Many times. Took him up to that mountain showed him all the different uh, stages of the world and said, you know, the angels give you charge over you. He knew the scripture. He quoted it to him, said, jump off. He just simply rebuked him with the word, walked away because the hour was not yet come. They was going to take and put their hands on him and take him and kill him, but his hour was not yet come. Hey, and, and the first wedding that was preached on Sunday, All right, the first miracle, the first thing that he did, but his hour was not yet come. But now something's different. This is a different day. And so here he is coming into this garden, and you'll see that, especially in the New Testament, if you'll trace that sign or that time about, especially in the book of John, his hour was not yet come. So something is different now. He's starting to begin sorrowful and very heavy. And, of course, verse 38, he gives a simple 
instructions to these three men, tarry you here and watch with me. Well, if you read on down in verse uh, 40 and 41 and following, you'll see that they just fell asleep. You say, well, you shouldn't sleep on Jesus. I'm going to tell you something. These men been through a lot when they got to this place. They knew what a garden was. They'd been with a garden. Maybe at some point, uh, Jesus, they all went to the garden and Jesus went apart himself to pray. Like he did a lot. He didn't always pray with the crowd. He would sometimes depart him and God alone, him and his father. And boy, John 17, something in context with what we're reading here, John 14, 15, 16, and 17 is all in context with what we're reading here. And so, but he would pray with the father. He would leave them alone at times. Maybe they thought, well, he's just going to pray again. I'm going to catch me some sleep. What, what, what was fixing to happen? They done been up. They've been busy. Their bodies was wore out. That's a good warning for us. You can't, you can't go for so long. And if you don't get some rest physically, you know, it's amazing to me that uh, we, Sunday's supposed to be a day of rest, but how many few of us even get a nap on Sunday because we're busy ministering? Well, you go six days a week anyway. Sunday, you're going again. <laughs> something's, something's wrong. Something's backwards. Sooner or later, what's going to happen? If you don't shut it down, God, for your benefits, going to shut it down, whichever way he's got to. But he simply gave these men instructions. Tear you here and watch with me. They fell asleep. Verse 39. He went a little farther. Praise the Lord. He went all the way from me, like the song says. From heaven's throne to Calvary. Leaving me just one little step to take. Then he says, nevertheless. Not as I will, but as thou wilt. And that's a blessing right there. The surrendered Christian life. Listen to me now. The surrendered Christian will pray always, not my will, but thy will be done. Yet the cold and the backslidden and the bitter Christian, and yes, it can happen to any of us. You know, you can be right in the middle and involved and doing everything that the church has got to offer and become backslidden. Try it. Get, put your hands in too much and see what happens. But see, you got to learn that you can't do it all. And if you can't do it all, then you're obviously going to let someone down. I know I got people all over this place right here that I've let down that I've not been there for you at different times. And I wish I could. But you know, you got to do, there got to be some kind of balance. You got to get along with God. Don't rob him of his time. And then you got to you, you got to do your job and your business or whatever it is. And you got to stay married and you got to raise your kids. Hey, you got to do those kind of things. So it's a tough balance. I, I wish it wasn't, but it is. And then next thing you know, any ministry comes up, you well, I do that. Well, I do that. Well, I do that. And then you're going to get burned out. I had to. I think I was about 22 years old when that happened. I hadn't been saved but a little over a year. And I shortly realized 
that I can't do it all. And God didn't expect me to do it. I had a, had a seasoned Christian man of God come up to me and just simply said, Son, no is not a sin. Sin is spelled S-I-N, not N-O. And that stuck with me. And I had to, had to learn that. And I've tried to teach my kids that. And I want to try to teach you that. It's okay to say no. You cannot do it all. And you can't be there for everybody. Lord, I wish I could go to every hospital, every visitation at the funeral home, every doctor's appointment. I, I mean, you could go on and on with the grocery list of things that happens. I wish I could be involved in every ministry. But I simply can't. You do too much, you're not good at anything. You know, uh, I, I had to learn even in my business, I have to turn jobs now. No, can't do that. <laughs> well, it ain't that I can't do that. I just can't do that that good. Amen. So you got to watch those kind of things. Well, he went a little farther. Surrendered Christian life always to say, not my will, but thine be done. And the cold and the backslidden and the bitter Christian will say, not thy will, Lord, but mine be done. That happens. The surrendered Christian will pray, not my will, but thy will be done in all things, in every decision, even when they're looking for a church home. I hope if you're looking at faith for a church home, and I'm trusting that God has led you here. I'm trusting because it was a big deal. I've been a part of two churches for 27 years. And I was teaching Sunday school and a deacon when God moved me to here in 19, oh, Lord, huh, 99, maybe, 27 years ago, whatever the math is. I can't even count right now. I think that's right. I think 99 is right. But anyhow, y'all can punch a calculator out and figure it up here in a minute because I can't get it. But I was doing those things, and, and you know, I kind of felt for about a year. Me and my wife both did, never really talked about it. It's amazing how God will move the hearts together. I ain't really talked, just kept on staying faithful, kept on keeping the course and doing what we need, needed to be doing. And we're sitting there at the church one Sunday, and the service come on at 1 o'clock, and uh, Lisa said, I'd like to go visit there one day. We knew a couple of people. Some of my family was going here at the time. She said, I'd like to go visit there one day. I said, we're going tonight. <laughs> it's like that. And so it was strange, turning left out of the driveway and not turning right. Not going and wondering what everybody was going to think that the deacon wasn't there on Sunday night. You see? Sunday school teacher was there this morning, but he wasn't there Sunday night. Well, if you're going to go where God's going to lead you, you're going to have to change. You're going to have to move. You're going to have to let some people down if you're going to be in the will of God. So, Sunday night, to Wednesday night. We've probably done that for about a month. And then I knew this is a place. You know, I had to just go through the steps that you have to go through. But I wanted to be in the will of God. I'm saying that to say this. 
One thing I hear around here, and we, we all family, one thing I hear around here and I have for 19 years now is, and this happens every time, some of you know probably where I'm going, I ain't been there in three or four weeks and ain't nobody called me. I guess they don't nobody love me. I don't know why they miss me. Or this. Or this one. I just think it's time for us to leave. I, I just don't think I feel good going back here anymore. And, you know, it's time, time for my family to go. And they leave. Well, look. If you're in the will of God, and God has told you to leave, the last thing I'm going to do is beg you out of the will of God. I love you. You're an adult. You follow the Lord Jesus Christ. And if God's told you to leave and you've been gone six weeks and Brother Rich ain't even texted you or called you, I'm not going to try to encourage you to get out of the will of God. God's got other ministries you can go do in places, but he leads you. Then you need to obey him and go. And I often want to say this, and I hear it all the time. Oh, yeah, so-and-so ain't been here, and ain't nobody called them. And, and, you know, and people, it's hard to know. I mean, some people, I mean, if the pastor's not here every week, you're going to know that. <laughs> but if somebody ain't here every week, it's going to take three or four weeks before you find it. Well, you know what? I ain't seen so-and-so. One, It just happens. And you say, well, they ain't been in your Sunday school class. Well, you know when marriage matters start, man, they just scatter out anyway. So I don't even, you know, I don't even worry about it because if they're in the will of God and they're adults and they follow the Lord, they're going to be where they're supposed to be. God's going to send who he's supposed to and that. So I would love, and I've asked a few people, why don't you start that ministry? Why don't you start the ministry of going here every week and taking roll of who's here. And then when they ain't here for two weeks, well, you know, I was on vacation last week, brother. And and, and then we had some family things. We had to go had to go to a wedding after that. Or oh, my shift come up. You know, right, Jacob? I mean, Warren? Uh, Holly? I mean, we, think about all this. I would love for somebody to take that ministry on and see how good you do it. Am I telling the truth, faith? I mean, I don't know what else to do. I don't know what else to do. What can you do, man? I mean, the best thing we can do is learn to operate in his will. He even said, not my will, but thine be done. We're going to march very fast. What time I got, Frida? (laughs) Got that. Ten minutes. Oh, mercy sakes. Y'all better listen up. That was basically an introduction right there. I got to move. That happens every week in Sunday school. Man, I look up and it'd be 10 after, 15 after. Lord of mercy. All right, Luke chapter 5, verse 1 through 11. Let's look at this right here. Now, this is, this is Peter and them out here. They, they're fishing, and it, it came to pass that the people pressed upon him to hear the word of God. He stood by the lake of whatever you want to say that name is, he's by the lake, amen? And saw two ships. Y'all get that? I can look up here and sound stupid anyway, but 
I get said, I don't know. They was at the lake. I like going to the lake. They saw two ships standing by the lake. Uh, st- two ships standing by the lake. That's what it says. But the fishermen were gone out of them. And that's, hey, check that out. They saw two ships standing by the lake. I ain't never caught that. Wow. I didn't know a ship had legs. See what you get? How many times I read this? I mean, it's just amazing. Uh. And he entered into the, one of the ships, which was Simon's, prayed him that he would thrust out a little from land. See, they didn't have the lapels, and they didn't have the bullhorns, and they didn't have the sound equipment out there. But he, you know how it is. You get out on the lake, and you got the breeze coming off the water because it's wide open. Ain't it amazing you can hear somebody talking a half a mile down the lake, and they just talking normal talk, but that voice is carrying like this right here, and it's going, and especially when they're talking about you. Look at that guy up there, that bald-headed man. I bet he ain't catching nothing because he can't afford a boat to go out in the water. Oh, me. So they'd get out in the boat, and he'd get out, and he would speak, and the, the voice would carry then he come up to him in verse 4. He left speaking, said unto Simon, launch out into the deep. Let down your nets for a drought. And Simon answering said unto him, Master, we have toiled all night. Now these are professional fishermen. And have taken nothing. Here's the obedience. Nevertheless, at thy word, I'm going to let down the net. Now if he hadn't let down the net, then he would have never caught the fish. They caught so much fish, we're not going to read the rest of it. They caught so much fish that they break the nets and the boats began to sink. Now, from being frustrated all night, not making a living, to on the nevertheless having the boats full, now that's something else right there. All right, 2 Corinthians 7. Nevertheless, at thy word there, he's done it. Now, 2 Corinthians 7, and I'm going to have to move rapido here to get through this as soon as I can find 2 Corinthians 7. Here we go. All right, verse 1 through 6. Having therefore the promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Receive us when we have wronged. No man have corrupted no man. We have defrauded no man. I speak not this to condemn you, for I have said before that you are in our hearts to die and to live with you. Great is my boldness of speech towards you. Great is my glowing of you. I am filled with comfort. I am exceeding joyful in all our tribulations. That's a place to be, ain't it? For when we were come into Macedonia, our flesh had no rest. But we were troubled on every side. Without were fightings, within were fears. Man, I've been there. We go through trials. That's what it's like. Ah, but verse 6. Nevertheless, God that comforteth those that are cast down. Comforted us by the coming of Titus. He is a comforter to those who are cast down. That means those who are brought low with grief. Those that are depressed. Those that are humiliated in circumstances. Nevertheless, God gives comfort to those. I have experienced. Now, you say a Christian shouldn't get depressed. Get in the ministry. Do something, but let me just not even say the ministry for the, because some people think that's a title. 
Just get busy doing something for your Lord. See what happens. You're going to get persecuted. You're going to have those times. You're going to feel like the devil's going to beat you up sometimes and say, what you're doing is worthless. Look at what's going on. Look at the turmoil. Look at your finances. Look at, look at what's going on. You're going to hear it all the time. But you know what? You've got to overcome him. God is able to comfort those that, uh, who, who need that comfort that are cast down. 2 Timothy 1, 6 through 12. Of course, we're not going to be able to read it. We're just going to go straight to uh, verse number 12. 2 Timothy 1, why, that ain't right. 2 Timothy 1, 6 through 12, yeah. Verse 12, there it is. I just got to find that, getting the right chapter. For this cause, I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know who I have believed, and I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. Paul is in his life time here of being close to death he said I know who I have believed and I am persuaded the word persuaded means to listen to, to obey to comply with, to trust to have that confidence Paul here in his life is fixing to be beheaded this is his last letter this is his final testimonial letter, he's waiting for his name to be called to be martyred he's just waiting any time, he knows it's coming Boy, I, I don't know that I could sleep. Of course, I, I know I couldn't do like Jesus, just sleep in the middle of the storm until I turned it all over to him. Now, I'll tell you that. I told it as long as, long as I can, and I finally give it to him. That's when I can sleep. But if I don't, I'm waking up all hours of the night thinking about too much. Sometimes it's, it's hard to shut this noodle down. It won't handle too much. Too much gets going on, going through it. It's kind of like, uh, you know, you try to Google something or, and you, your phone's sitting there just spinning. <laughs> you know, you get that little thing, well, you ain't got no good reception. You can relate to that one, can't you? That's the way it gets sometimes. But Paul knew he was fixing to come to his last time. He said, I know who I've listened to. You remember what persuaded meant? It means to listen to, to obey, to yield, to comply with, to trust, to have confidence. He said, I know who I have listened to. I know who I have obeyed. I know who I have yielded to. I know who I have complied with. I know who I have trusted with. I know in whom I have confidence in. He said, I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which he's committed unto me against that day. Paul knew it wasn't nothing he could keep. He knew it was all that God could do. And, of course, that word there, he is able, I like that. I, I thought about a few scriptures off of that one. I am persuaded that he is able. Ephesians 3.20 says, now unto him that is able. He's written about his ability before. Now unto him that is able to do it exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or think. According to the power that worketh in us. I'm going to have to go fast here. 2 Corinthians 9, 8. And God is able to make all grace abound towards you. That you always have. No, listen to all these alls and all this. Let me just back up 320 again. Listen to how it just crescendos up and keeps going. Now in him that is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we could ask or even think. You can't even think about the depths 
of God and how he can work according to the power that works in us. 2 Corinthians 9, 8, God is able to make all grace abound towards you that you always having all sufficiency in all things may abound to every good work. You say, how do you live the Christian life successfully? It's not you that lives it. Amen. <laughs> Hebrews seven twenty five. Wherefore, he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. Listen to me tonight. God can and will and wants to save you from the guttermost to the uttermost. And there used to be a song we'd sing, I'm saved to the uttermost. I know that I am. Washed in the blood of the precious lamb. Through the Father, through the Son, through the Holy Ghost, I'm saved to the uttermost. He's able to do that. Jude one twenty four says, Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling. It's him that's able to keep you from falling. And to look at that, not only that, now he's going to, he saved you, he sought you, he bought you, he keeps you, and he's going to keep you until that day. But watch, he is able not only to keep you from falling, but to present you faultless. There's no way we can stand faultless before the throne room of God except for the blood of the Lord Jesus. So what, what, uh, he's talking about there is just like the sins. If somebody brings your sins up or the accuser brings your sins up and the, the father looks out and says, I can't see nothing. All I see is a blood stain. All I see is a blur. The Bible says he blotted out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us. Took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. So when the, the, the Lord Jesus looks out and God the Father looks out, all he sees is his son. It's him that is able to keep you from falling. How are you and I never going to fall? If we keep our eyes on him, the author and the finish of our faith. If we live our lives for him and allow him to live it through us, it's not us, it's him. He's able to vent you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. 2 Timothy 2.19, verse 19 says, Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure. You can build your life on God's foundation. Sure means strong, firm, immovable, solid, hard, rigid. I like that, boy. Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure. Have you noticed a theme throughout these scriptures right here? It's him that does it. He can lift you up. He can keep you from falling. It's all him anyway. It's not us. So that's how we do it. He said, having this seal... That by which anything is confirmed, proved, authenticated. I'll get it out in a minute. As by a seal. And I thought about these few scriptures, and I'm fixing to run through them real fast. Ephesians 1.13. After we believed, we were sealed with the Holy Spirit that was promised. A seal in the scripture symbolizes a finished transaction, a sign of ownership, a sign of security. Ephesians 4.30 says, Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed unto the day of redemption. Not, I hope I'm sealed. Not, maybe I'm sealed. Maybe I will be. He says, you are sealed. That's a finished transaction. It's something done. When they would put, the, the king would write a letter, he would put it in there and he'd seal it with his signet. And that thing was not to be opened except by the person 
That was a sign of ownership of whose it was. It was sealed. And so when we're in Jesus, it's, you know, he says, like if I had a coin, I had it in my hand. And uh, we are in Jesus' hand. The scripture says in John 10, he said, I am in my Father's hand. Ephesians says we are we're sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. The only way the devil's going to get to you and you lose your salvation, he's going to have to break the seal. He's going to have to go through the Father's hand. Then he's going to have to go through the blood of Jesus because you're in his hand and there's no way he could do it. He'd be a saved devil and that's not going to happen. So it's just not going to happen. There's only three ways of getting a family. Born in, married in, adopted in. He took care of all three. <laughs> Amen. Plenty of scriptures we could give in that. We have this seal. I like it now. That Bible says right there, we have the seal. The Lord knoweth them that are his. See, we're going to be surprised when we get to heaven one day. Well, I never thought they'd make it. Well, they're not going to make it on their own. They're going to make it the same way you did. Through grace. Last scripture, Hebrews 12, 11. Nevertheless, after would it yield a peaceable fruit of righteousness. Talking about troubles and trials that we go through, afflictions. Basically, that whole story there in chapter 12 starting out is a, a father chastising his son. And, and you are not without chastisement if you're one of his. And so he said, you know, that affliction doesn't feel good. But afterwards, it yieldeth a peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. That was only about seven of the nevertheless out of 97 in the Scripture. So that's all we got tonight. Will you stand to your feet for just a moment? I'm not going to take for granted that everybody here knows the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, but you've heard enough gospel tonight. God has drawn you here. See, the Bible says no man can come to the Father except the Spirit draw him, John 6, 44. And the Lord's going to draw you if you don't know him. Amen. See, you can leave this building tonight lost, and when you die and stand before God, you can't say, I've never heard the gospel. You heard enough scriptures tonight, seen plainly through the Word of God, that it's him that does the saving and the keeping. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, I'm going to give you a chance tonight. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you can do like I did some 27 years ago. Say something like this, Lord Jesus, I realize that I'm a sinner and I repent of my sins. And I want to ask you to come into my heart. Forgive me of my sins. And save my soul. In Jesus' name.